Thanks so much for tuning into the Sideline View podcast brought to you by the TalkCast Network. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. I haven't been around on the podcast recently, as you may have noticed, so I hope you weren't sitting there by your phones, holding your breath, waiting for another episode to drop, because I can't lie, it's been a minute, and I don't really have many excuses for it. I was just being a little lazy. But as I digress, the season is officially kicked off. It's up and rolling. It's been awesome so far. Watched a lot of games. Um, and so there's plenty to talk about. And one of the things that's really got me excited thus far through two to three games, depending on the team, uh, are the rookies. And I've made a lot of predictions over the summer talking about uh, the draft, what which prospects I like, how I'd like them to pan out. And so far, so good on most of my predictions. I'm not spot on with everything. I'll, I'll always point out whenever I was wrong about a guy. But... There is a matchup between two rookies that are playing out exactly the way I expected they would. And that duo, of course, is the second and third overall picks, John Morant and RJ Barrett. If you guys know from previous podcasts or seen me talking on Twitter, I'm a huge John Morant fan. I'm less of an RJ Barrett fan. Nothing personal against him. He actually seems like a very cool, funny guy in interviews. Um, Just personal preference of playing style. I'm definitely more of a John Morant fan. And one of my predictions I was talking about uh, between the two was I did like John Morant to win Rookie of the Year because he's going to have a lot of opportunity in Memphis. He'll be running the offense. They don't have any established uh, guys to go to uh, for playmaking and scoring, and he's able to do both. So I liked his chances to be able to to put up good numbers. And uh, so far, so good. Had a kind of up and down first two games, a mixed bag, you know, got okay numbers of points and assists, but high turnovers. And then third game, it was awesome. Dropped 30 points on the Nets, had nine assists, and that's not the part I want to talk mostly about. Raw stats are are something that you get here and there. Sometimes you're going to have a great game statistically, other times you're not going to have a great game statistically. That's not... The deciding factor I feel separates John Morant from RJ Barrett. For me, when it came to evaluating them during the draft, what I was looking at in college was how much do I want either one of them having the ball in their hands late game? And everything I saw from John Morant was positive that I can trust him with the ball in his hands at the end of games. He can get his own shot off, he can get shots for other people, and there's a good chance that. The plays are going to work out. He's going to make the shots. He's going to find the right people. And uh, his basketball IQ seemed all the way there. Just he knew when it was time to make a certain play, when not to make one. He just has it all all together in terms of uh, knowing the game, having a really good feel for the game. You can just tell by watching him. And the difference to me with R.J. Barrett is I don't see his basketball IQ much on the floor. I see the talent. I mean, he's 6'7". He's extremely strong. He's a great athlete. He's going to score. I've made that very clear talking about him uh, in the summertime around the draft. He's going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer in his career, whether it was rookie year or a couple years down the line. Like, make no mistake about it. He, I knew he was going to do that. There's, there's no question. When you're, when you're that big and you have that type of skill and athleticism with a really opened-up NBA floor, you could see it in college a lot of times. He'd drive in there to lanes that just weren't quite there. And the, the difference was – a lot of people and a lot of other NBA players, they, they tweeted about this too uh, during around the time of March Madness. They watch those college games 
So I'm driving the lanes that weren't there and take really tough shots. And they said, just wait till it gets to the NBA. Those lanes are going to be there, which is correct. But the way I saw it when I watched him do that in college was he's driving into lanes that aren't there, taking shots that aren't there. That doesn't display a very high basketball IQ. That doesn't show you really know the game or when, when you're supposed to make certain plays and not make others. And that's so while seeing the same thing as everybody else, my takeaway from what I saw was a little different from what a lot of people saw. And neither is right or wrong because they're both, they're actually both uh, coming true right now. As you can see, the lanes that he was driving into in college that weren't there are there in the NBA. He's getting 21 points per game and on ridiculous efficiency so far, everywhere except the free throw line. Um, but scoring the ball at a really effective rate so far through three games. And so to think that that type of that part of his game was going to translate in the NBA was correct thinking. It has translated. But in terms of what he does uh, late in game, uh, making decisions uh, in crunch time, I'd rather have John Morant with the, with the ball in his hands. And uh, so far, as you can see, John Morant, what I, want, what I really want to talk about this third game is not so much the 30 points, 9 assists. It's more what he did late game. Went in, made a tough left-hand layup with seven seconds left in the game to tie the game in, uh, in regulation, seven seconds left. Then we're down on the other end, and out of a timeout, a side-out, out-of-bounds play timeout, which is really tough. It wasn't just uh, Kyrie got the ball, dribbled down, had to take a tough shot. I mean, it was right out of a timeout. Kyrie had plenty of time to think about what he was going to do, where he was going to get the ball, which, which one of the spots he wanted to get to. Out of the timeout, Kyrie gets the ball one-on-one ISO against Ja. And Jaw D's him up perfectly and gets the block shot on him to end regulation. Then you get to overtime and they run the uh, Villanova pitch back for the three, which I really like to see that. Uh, they ran that to a T to finish the game while they were down two. Uh, Jaw got the game winning assist to Jay Crowder. Obviously, not a real hard pass. I'm not going to overemphasize the assist, but he did close the game out on a game winning assist to get the three for the win. So, that's three plays right there that, to me, really display uh, winning basketball. Just he has he plays a type of game that I think is really going to contribute to winning basketball throughout his career. I think he can be in a couple years one of the, one of the best, if not the best player, or at least best playmaker on a seriously contending team, a team that will consistently win. With RJ, I see a lot of mellow, and which which makes it convenient he ended up with the Knicks. I see a lot of points per game from him. I see a lot of highlights, um, a, a lot of great things. He's going to get accolades. He's going to rack up a lot of all-star appearances. As long as he stays healthy, I don't see any reason why he won't become a Hall of Famer, and rightfully so if he racks up seven or more all-star games. But I can't bet on him contributing to winning basketball from what I've seen. And so I, right there is a the difference between what I've seen in the two of them. And so far, I think through three games, it's played out that way. I mean, watching RJ the other night um, against the Celtics on two different occasions in a row, got to the free throw line, uh, took a total of three free throws, and missed all three of them the exact same way. Clanked them all off the back of the rim, and they all went to the exact same spot. It's like, there's just small things like that that I, I, I'm being very nitpicky about him, but I don't do it because I dislike him like as a person or anything. It's just, as a player... I feel like he's easy to nitpick. There's a lot of things. He, he leaves you with with more. With uh, There's more to be desired after you watch him play. You see all the great things he does. And then at the end of the day, it's like, 
I just want to see a little bit more that you could have done this or that better and it's just not quite there. So that's my quick little rundown on the two of them. I'll talk in a few minutes about the rest of the rookie class and what I've seen from them so far. But on the topic of the Knicks with RJ, there is another player I want to talk about real briefly. Very briefly, I want to talk about this player. Then I kind of want to get to my big issue I have with the Knicks. The Knicks will be the one team I'll actually break down uh, as a as a whole. The rest of the teams today will mostly just be an overview, but the Knicks have one thing they're doing that's especially bothering me. One of those things is how they're treating Dennis Smith Jr. In three games now, he's played an average of nine minutes per game. He's playing terrible. Even with very small minutes, he can't hit a shot. He's playing with no confidence out there. And last game, the Knicks fans were chanting, we want Frank, referring to uh, Frank Nitekila for him to come into the game instead of DSJ. First of all, I couldn't imagine myself ever doing that as a fan because if you even remotely put yourself in Dennis Smith Jr.'s shoes right there, I that's like unimaginably embarrassing to have fans at your home arena chanting for someone else to come in the game for you. Um, especially when Dennis Smith was the main uh, the, the main piece that the Knicks received for Kristaps Porzingis when they traded him away. First of all, the Knicks should have just drafted Dennis Smith Jr. with, I think it was the ninth pick, the same year that they drafted Frank. So they first of all messed up there. They should have just taken Dennis Smith instead of Frank. Then they trade the franchise guy to get the guy they should have drafted. That's just bad management. But I'll leave that be because <laughs> I have plenty of other gripes with the Knicks. But they get Dennis Smith Jr. back. And... You would think with a team that most people aren't expecting to make the playoffs, even though they have playoff-type talent on their roster, you would think they'd want to like grow the young guys, especially the ones who have the most potential. And I think the collection of talent they have on their team is doing a huge disservice to Dennis Smith Jr. I'm a huge Alfred Payton fan. <laughs> I don't know if you guys will know that just from podcasts or me tweeting, but if you know me personally, you know I'm a huge Alfred Payton fan. And I don't have much reason to be, but I just am for whatever for whatever reason. But that's my guy. I'm always going to rock with him. But if I'm the Knicks this summer, and I know we have Dennis Smith Jr. coming in, and we need to grow him as a player. We need to, to, to see what he can become because he has a ton of potential because he's a freak athlete and put up good numbers with the Mavs, just couldn't quite put it all together to what to where he wasn't leaving us wanting more. If you've got a guy like that coming in, He's going to need minutes. You need to carve out a big chunk of minutes that he is going that's reserved for him. He's going to get 25 minutes a game, 28 minutes a game, maybe 30 plus minutes per game. Whatever it is, you need to carve out a role for him that he's going to have by default because he he's a special type of talent, and you need to see what you can get out of him. Alfred Payton, guy I love. He's a triple double machine when he gets minutes, but he doesn't have the type of upside as Dennis Smith Jr. So. Either don't bring Smith in into the fold in the first place, or if you do bring him in, don't bring in Alfred Payton, who's going to take away minutes from him. And now you're you're splitting minutes between the two. And then the Knicks did the most asinine thing possible, and instead of even splitting minutes, they just kicked Dan Smith Jr. to the curb, play him 10 minutes a game, give Frank two minutes a game, play Alfred sporadically, first game of the season with their three-point guards. They didn't even start a single one of them. They started Alonzo Trier, who I really like, but he's a shooting guard. 
and they're just an absolute mess. I could honestly talk for days about the Knicks. Um, so what I just want to say about Dennis Smith Jr. is that I feel for him. He's in a terrible spot with a terrible organization. And I don't want to say a terrible coach because I don't like to be too critical of coaches, especially when you're not in the locker room, you don't know the situation. But Fisdale hasn't done a single thing to prove to me that he is worth his salt as a coach at all. It, in terms of how he played lineups last year, how he's playing him to start this year, in terms of getting the most out of his team and winning games, I haven't seen anything. I'm not going to totally throw him under the bus yet, but I have nothing positive to say about him yet. So those are my thoughts on him. But yeah, he's Dennis Smith Jr. is just in a really bad scenario right now. I'd love to see him get trade it out of there, go somewhere else. I, the problem is the point guard position is so loaded in the NBA. There's so few teams that are willing to, to grow a point guard, to sit there and just take the, the lumps and the ups and downs of a point guard because there are so many good ones in the league right now. Um, it, it really is one of the best eras right now of point guards, I think, in NBA history. So with that being said, he's in a tough spot. Not sure how much leverage he has to force a trade out. Not sure how much trade value to even have anywhere else um, because he isn't a perfect player. You're not defending him as if he is some perfect player. Um, can't shoot very well. There's a lot of holes in his game. Um, low efficiency and everything is a score when that's supposed to be a strong suit. Um, but again, I think the, the Knicks are doing him a bad disservice by hardly playing him and really just tanking his numbers. I mean, he looks like an absolute scrub right now based on his stats. He's getting nine minutes a game, scoring one point, getting one assist. He's shooting 9% from the field because he's one for 11. I mean, you can't expect so much out of a guy when you're giving him very brief minutes. So moving on from him and then shifting towards the Knicks as a whole, I'll try and make it brief. I usually fail when I try to be brief about the Knicks, but I'm not sure if anybody's noticed this. I noticed this very early on in free agency. I didn't count it all up though um specifically until recently and after doing a little head count of their roster did you know the Knicks have 14 players on their roster who played 20 plus minutes per game last year like actually think about that they have 14 guys on their roster who played 20 plus minutes per game last year and they have no veterans on their team I don't know who the oldest tenured player on their team is, but it's, I think it's Taj Gibson. I think he's the oldest guy of like 10 years. Everybody else is very young in their careers. They believe they're on the upswing. They're trying to make a name for themselves in the league, carve out minutes for themselves. They should be looking up from, from this point. They, they, every single one of those players will come into their next year expecting at least what they got last year in terms of minutes. So that's 14 guys who feel that they are good enough and deserve 20 plus minutes per game. I'm no math major. I'm not very good at math. I have a stats exam coming up on Thursday and I'm not looking forward to it because I'm no good at math. But even I know that you cannot distribute 20 minutes per game to 14 different players. That doesn't work. So that's a horrible collection of talent if you ask me with the Knicks. You have to have some guys who come into the season understanding and being okay with the fact that I'm not going to play much. I'm going to be one of the 10 through 15 men. I'm If someone goes down with an injury, I'll be ready. But most likely, 
If things go according to plan, I am not part of those plans. I will just be an excited guy on the bench and have fun, work hard in practice, but I do not come into each game expecting rotation minutes. <laughs> that's that's how it works. That's how it, that's how it has to work. Um, you can't have 14 guys who all equally think they deserve 20 plus minutes. I think that's going to cause a lot of uh, tension in the locker room throughout the season. If a guy goes a couple games in a row not playing well, the guy sitting behind him, he's got guys in his ear, he's got his agent in his ear, he's got his friends, he's got himself, and they're all going to be thinking the same thing. That guy's playing like a scrub. I had a pretty good season last year. Why won't coach give me a chance? It's pretty easy to imagine that scenario. And with 14 guys all in that type of situation, I don't think it's going to be long before there's a bit of a breaking point with that. Even if the players don't get upset, though, you have a coach who now has to distribute minutes to 14 legitimate rotation players, and that's a nightmare. I I don't know how you decide. There's almost too many options available, and I guess that's like a good problem to have, how we talk about in sports. Oh, it's a good problem to have too many good players or too many starters but 14 is an excessive amount <laughs> and that's a bad situation for a coach um i i sure wouldn't want to be in that situation I mean, if, if literally if i were david fisdale and i were the coach i'd be going to management saying what the heck did you just do for me like why why did you give me so many legitimate rotation players but none of them are stars like i mean uh, Julius Randle is the most established star out of the group, and he still doesn't have an all-star appearance under his belt. None of them do. So you've got no like alpha males on the team, no one who necessarily actually deserves anything, but you got 14 guys who think they do, and that, that's a whole mess to deal with. So I don't think ever in NBA history a team has had that many players who played that many minutes per game a season ago. That's absolutely ridiculous to me. Not to mention the fact they have six rookies on their on their roster. So, of the guys who didn't play 20-plus minutes per game, a lot of them it's because they were rookies, and so they couldn't have played 20-plus minutes per game last year. And a couple of those rookies are expecting 20-plus minutes per game. R.J. Barrett, for example. There's only actually one player on the roster who didn't play 20 minutes per game last year and isn't a rookie, and that would be Ivan Rabb who still is a very productive player, played about 15 minutes per game last year. So he is a guy who thinks his career is on the upswing, and he's going to want more minutes this upcoming season. But it's not going to happen when you have that many players all rostered on the same team who deserve minutes, but it can't be equally distributed. So that's my little little rant on the Knicks. I hope you guys see my point in that, that, that while there is a good problem to have with, with too much talent, that's way too much of the same type of talent. It's a bunch of guys who, I mean, apart from Julius Randle, who I think might be an all-star this year, he'll put up all-star numbers for sure. And then um, RJ, who will be an all-star in the future. Aside from them, there's no one else on that roster who's a clear-cut all-star ever, let alone this season. And, I mean, you got egos involved with that. You got too many guys that are going to want playing time and not be understanding as to why they're not getting it so to me that's just very problematic hopefully you see my point with that but uh if not that's all right because we got more to talk to talk about we got uh the east and the west i went ahead and made 
some predictions for what I think the playoffs will look like in each conference. I'm not real big on early season predictions like that because you literally never know. That's part of the reason. I mean, I've been itching to kind of do a podcast recently, um, and I was I kept telling myself I was going to do one before the season started, but then the only thing that kept circulating in my head is like, I need predictions. I need predictions. That's what everybody talks about before the season. And I'm so kind of against making these way too early predictions about things that are long-term. Um, Cause you literally just don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know how teams are going to look once they actually get on the floor. You don't know what type of rotations the coaches are going to play. So now that we're two to three games in, I feel a little more comfortable with my list of who I think will make the playoffs. Um, and uh, the team I mostly wanted to talk about in terms of where they will look in the playoff picture was the Warriors, because as Draymond said, they suck. <laughs> They're looking horrible right now. Um, I, it, it, I'm, I was really close to leaving them off of my uh, playoff predictions of leaving them out of the playoffs. I'm still, I'm sneaking them in at the eight seed. I'll give, uh, I'll. I'll give that away uh no foreshadowing there i'm putting them at the eighth seed in the west just hanging on history's on their side that they should be able to figure it out to an extent just enough to get into the playoffs they still have an mvp on their team i think draymond can muster up an all-star caliber season again because he seemed he does it every year in the playoffs so he seems to be able to turn it on when he wants to so if the regular season becomes your playoffs because you have to go all out in the regular season to get to the playoffs, then I think he should be able to go all-star Draymond again and be close to a triple-double every night and play really good defense. Um, if he can do that, and then I think D'Lo is still going to have a really good year. I think he's going to get over 20 points per game easily, get about four to six assists somewhere in there, four, five, six. Um, and then when Willie Kelly-Stein comes back, I think that'll be uh, – a very underrated uh, piece for them. The reason is because he's a lob threat. You can run pick and roll with him and throw a lob up to him basically anywhere around the rim and he's going to go get it. That's the type of threat that Steph hasn't had throughout his whole career thus far. Besides JaVale McGee. But <laughs> uh, they, they didn't use McGee a ton. They didn't play him a ton of minutes. Um, he still got buckets when he was out there though. But I would really like to see them incorporate that where Steph's coming off the pick and rolls and he's got an option to either take it all the way himself, get a help defender and kick the D low, or he's got Cully Stein rolling to the rim and he can throw a lob up to him. I think that's something he really hasn't uh, been able to utilize throughout his career. He's had guys like Bogut, Looney, um, David Lee in the early days, Zaza, um, guys are not throwing lobs to. And because pick and roll is such an instrumental part of the way the game is played right now. And basically the five man has to I mean, I've talked about this before to be a modern day five man. It's not that you have to be able to shoot. There's plenty of fives in the league that can't shoot, but in terms of being a pick and roll lob threat, being a rim protector on defense and being a three point shooter of those three traits of a big man, you have to have two of the three to succeed as a big man, as a five man in today's NBA. And uh, I think uh, all the one thing all those other big men lacked that Steph has played with, besides JaVale McGee, has been being able to be a lob threat. And so the fact that Kelly Stein can bring that to the table, I think that's something that the Warriors should utilize. I don't know if they will, but 
we're going we're gonna to see from Steve Kerr. We're going to see what type of coach he really is. A lot of people have already kind of been putting him on blast a bit, <laughs> and uh, I'm not ready to, to go that far with it, but we'll see what he's made up as a coach this year. We'll see. If, if he can't get these guys to the playoffs, I think that is a bit of uh, a stain for him. Not that you can't ever scrub that stain out and, and make up for it with a couple great seasons in the future, but for the time being, if he can't get these guys to the playoffs, I think that is a bit of a stain for him on his resume. But moving away from the Warriors, uh, we're going to look at the East. I got the Bucks at the one seed. If you guys saw me on Twitter, I said the Pacers were going to be the two seed, and I was very confident in it. I've t- I talked about it with other people like in person, and so far they've looked bad. Um, I can't lie. They've looked pretty bad. They haven't won yet. I'm gonna for the time being just slide them from the two seed I originally predicted to the three seed so I've lost a little faith in them but not entirely um I really hope they can back me up on this because I love their their distribution of talent I mean you see the way the Knicks did it and that looks no good the way the Pacers have gone about acquiring a lot of talent but making it actually fit at each position and getting guys who will know their role. I think they've done a really good job of it. And uh, hopefully Oladipo gets back soon and is healthy as soon as he steps on the floor. Um, so I'm still still going to try and stick to my guns on that. With them being a very high seed, I got them at the three seed. Celtics four, Heat five, Raptors six, Nets seven. They could potentially go higher, but I feel like they've played pretty well every game so far this year and they still haven't been winning games so that is a bit of a bad telltale sign to me uh so far so i got them at the seven seed at the eight seed i have no idea between the pistons or the hawks the hawks have started out really well they've won both their games trey young is just looking unbelievably good um the pistons haven't looked as good yet but they don't have blake and the pistons have just been so good at being the eight seed over the last couple of years that uh can't quite count them out. So one of those two will be the eighth seed. I'm really not all that concerned with making a concrete pick for the eighth seed and the East two will get swept anyway. So it'll be one of those two teams, I think. I think uh, I think the Bulls will be uh, very close to the playoffs, just on the outside looking in. I think the reason for that will be that the, the lineup they're starting the season with right now obviously isn't going to be the lineup they probably end the season with. There'll probably be a point guard change. Sadoransky will probably go to the bench. Um, and I'd assume Kobe White would take over the starting spot. Um, it looks like it'll probably be going that way, in that direction. And so I think that little lineup change, uh, as it gets shuffled throughout the season, I think there'll just be just enough shuffling of that starting lineup that when you shuffle the lineup on a young team, it does just enough damage that it's gonna they're going to lose just enough games to not quite be able to get in. If, if that makes sense. I think just the changes they'll have to go through throughout the season will accumulate just enough losses that they'll be just shy of getting into the playoffs. Um, so that's my reasoning for them. And then the Magic, they'll be close, but I don't like the Magic. <laughs> uh, for front office reasons, I don't like the moves they've been doing for years. So I refuse to put them in the playoffs. Um, my prediction is out west. I got the Nuggets being the one seed because uh, they're going to go all out. They're hungry. They got a lot to prove. Um, people sleeping on them. The Clippers, I, I know they, they just lost to the Suns, but they still looked amazing so far. It really looked like they have no holes. So I think 
they're going to easily uh, secure that number two spot. You got uh, the Blazers at three because they just win. They just straight up win in the regular season, and they win sometimes in the playoffs. I mean, they got to the conference finals last year, so that's nothing to scoff at. People are going to be quick to forget that, as it seems like they already have, but uh, I think that they're a very relevant team. I got them with the three seed, Lakers at the four, Rockets at the five. I put the Spurs all the way as high as six because people really need to stop sleeping on the Spurs. I mean, people, I saw people, uh, experts, quote unquote, uh, putting like the Mavs in the playoffs over the Spurs. Uh, who else? The Pelicans, uh, the Kings, all these teams making it over the Spurs. All those other teams haven't made the playoffs in years. The Spurs haven't missed the playoffs in like 20 years. So just based off of that history alone and who their coach is, I'm definitely not going to bet against them missing the playoffs, especially when they have enough talent to do so. I don't think there's a chance that Pop misses the playoffs with a roster that has playoff level talent. If he has enough talent to get in the playoffs, he'll get in the playoffs. If he doesn't have enough talent to get in the playoffs, He'll probably still get in the playoffs. So I feel like they're an absolute lock to make it. Jante Murray's back and looking awesome. Derek White got a year of USA basketball experience and had a very good season last year. Uh, DeMar DeRozan's still an all-star caliber player. Put up 21-6-6 last year. Nobody talked about it. He didn't make the all-star team. Aldridge is still an all-star caliber player. Yeah, Yaka Pearl, they got Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay puts up the same production he has his whole career, just in less minutes. Um... And there might even be some other guys I'm forgetting about because they have a lot of talent. Um, so I think they have plenty of talent to get in the playoffs and Pop is going to be what puts them over the top and they'll get in. Then I've got the Jazz at seven, which may seem very low to people. It, it's crazy. In the offseason, I saw, again, quote unquote experts, some who put the Jazz as high as number two in the Western Conference playoffs and some put them as low as seven where I have them. So, they, people have no idea. Uh, the West is just that loaded, and it's basically just get in the playoffs. Just get yourself in there and then see what happens because it's extremely loaded. Um, I've got them at seven just because I can't convince myself they'll have a better record than any of the teams I put above them. Not necessarily because I think they're bad or they're overrated or anything negative about them. I just don't see them putting up more wins than any of the teams I have ahead of them. Uh, so I, by default, they, they get slotted at seven for me. So I got them. And then, like I said, I'm still going to let the Warriors hang on at eight, even though they've looked absolutely awful so far. The Timberwolves have looked very good so far, especially Carl Anthony Towns. Um, and he said before a season that they're going to be in the playoffs. And I took him seriously when he said it. I've got him on one of my fantasy teams. And I almost traded him away for two very good players. Um, can't quite remember who exactly. I think Darren Fox was one, and then another. Oh, it might have been Aiton. I think it was like Darren Fox and uh, Aiton before he got suspended um, for Towns. And I asked some people about it. Someone told me like, "Yeah, you should definitely do it." Like, I can't believe someone even would make that trade with you. And I was like, well, I think I'm the one hesitating on it because I think Towns is going to have an absolutely monstrous season this year. I thought he was going to put up Joel Embiid numbers, get like 28, 13, 3, 4 assists. And so far, it's looking like that. He's really taking the next step as a player. Uh, he's got a whole arsenal of offensive moves. And he seems very 
determined to, to propel himself in, uh, in the NBA ranks this season that people have kind of forgotten about him. They're starting to take him for granted. And I think he's aware of that. And he wants to make people start talking about him a little more. Uh, and so far, so good. He's doing great. The Suns have looked really good. Um, obviously, they're going to lose eight for a while. That's going to hurt pretty badly. But the one thing I like about the Suns, and I've been very critical of them and their front office over the years, they've been another team that they make head-scratching moves that really irk my nerves. But they finally have a bit of an identity as a team. They're looking like a very good defensive team. Uh, Kelly Oubre is a beast. Um Got him on one of my fancy teams, and he's been great for me. Uh, being like a 20-point-per-game score while bringing a ton of energy. Uh, and, and it shouldn't come as a surprise. I don't, I don't know why it wasn't talked about more. Um, I mean, I guess there's so much to talk about in the offseason with all the stuff that goes on that people like him get lost in the shuffle. But he finished the season so well for the Suns that I thought it was pretty inevitable he was going to have this type of year. And here he is having it, being a, a really key piece to the Suns. And honestly, I think if you take him off that team, uh, the way they would look after three games would be totally different. They might be 0-3 and uh, be looking like a team that's going to tank again. I think his, his impact really has been that valuable. Um, other teams just missing out. you got the Mavs. Luka and Porzingis have looked very good together. But ultimately, I don't think they have enough talent outside of those two to get in the playoffs. Kings have looked terrible so far, and losing Bagley doesn't help at all. Um, even before a season, I had them missing the playoffs. I had them being the nine seed uh, before the season. I thought they were going to be a lot like the um, the Nuggets were two years ago, before their breakout season last year. The year before that, they were the nine seed, and they were a really talented nine seed that missed the playoffs on the last day of the season. Um, I, thought, I was thinking coming into this year that the Kings were going to be a lot like that Nuggets team that definitely have playoff talent it's just young playoff talent and it was going to be enough for them to just miss out on the playoffs um, but they wouldn't be a team that uh, looks like they're in contention for the playoffs and then three-fourths of the way through the season just go total tank mode because they're no they they realize they're not going to get there and they just want to try and get a high pick they'd be one of those teams that's like we're pretty close let's go all in and try and just snag that eight seed because we need some playoff experience I thought the Kings would be a lot, had that type of mentality if the Nuggets had two years ago and just miss out um, and be the nine seed. That could still very well happen. They're just off to a bad 0-3 start. Um, but I hope they can get back to, uh, to the pace I was expecting them to play at. And then the Pelicans, they'll, they'll be contending for sure. I just don't think, I just don't, don't see them quite making it. They'll be a nine or 10 seed, something like that. So... <sighs> That's my playoff playoff rundown. I was going to get into some of the rookies, but you know, I've talked for long enough. I don't want this uh, podcast episode to be too long. And all these rookies, they've only played two to three games. So even though I have some things to say about each one of them, it really isn't very merited. It doesn't really carry much weight because I'm basing it off of two to three games, which isn't very fair to them, whether it's going to be positive or negative. So I'll save that for next time. Uh, thanks so much guys for tuning into this episode hopefully you enjoyed it um, what I'm planning on doing is hopefully bringing just an episode per week kind of uh, give a recap of the last week of basketball uh, what's transpired uh, from episode to episode and uh, that I'm hoping uh, Mondays might be my day Mondays or Tuesdays I'll try and keep it consistent with the same day each week but uh, again just thanks so much for tuning in 